0: How's it going? Are you awake? You know, this is, you know, I grew up, a lot of you, if you grew up in Indiana, you didn't grow up with daylight savings. I did. Us uh, adopted Hoosiers, we grew up with it, if you grew up outside of Indiana. And uh, it's a lot easier now than it was 20 years ago, when you didn't have your cell phone that automatically changed time for you. And a lot more of you would have been late today. So we can thank the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Hey, I got to tell you a story. There's a. Uh, I was reading this week. Um, first, I was told about it from a friend, and then I, I kind of wrote about it. But this couple in England, I believe, were cleaning out their house, and they came across these pearl earrings. And they had been a family heirloom, and she had actually worn them a few different times. Um, but they, they're cleaning things out, kind of downsizing, and they're like, you know, we, we really ought to figure out uh, what these things are worth. And so they took them in to get appraised, and at the appraisal, the, the appraiser looked at them and studied them, put them under a microscope, x-rayed them, did all that stuff. Because for a pearl, you have to actually x-ray it to see if it's a natural pearl or, or one that was started with, they kind of stick these little balls inside of oysters and then a pearl grows around it. Those are, they're real pearls, but they're not natural pearls. Natural one just happens on its own. And this was found to be a natural pearl. And the appraisal came back and it was worth uh, $140,000. Now, one of the pearls was fake to match the real one, but the real one was appraised at $140,000. It had just been laying in a drawer, and she had worn him a few times. Well, the jeweler who appraised them called a friend of his, a guy by the name of David Morris. Have you heard of him? There's a picture of him on the screen. David Morris is uh, one of the most renowned jewelers in the world. Uh, he lives in London, and uh, he's a collector of fine pearls. He travels all over to find uh, gemstones, and especially he's obsessed with pearls. And so this appraiser friend of his told him about the pearl said, you've got to see this. And so he came and checked it out and got permission, and they uh, he said, you know, hey, can I... He recognized the fake one is fake right away, but he said, can I take this other one uh, back and run some tests on it and... So they did, and uh, they put it under a microscope, uh, x-rayed it, and found it to be a natural pearl. And he came back to the couple, and he said, "Um, I'd like to buy your pearl. And they said, well, you know, it's been appraised for $140,000. This was about five years ago, uh, four or five years ago. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, "Uh, I'm willing to offer you 10 times its appraised value. Sold. <laughs> and he bought it for 1.4 million dollars. That was in pounds, but it works out to 1.4 million dollars. Have you heard it? Does that story sound familiar? Jesus told a very similar story. Uh, by the way, there's a picture of the actual pearl when it went to auction. Um, Jesus told a very similar story and that pearl was, uh, turned out to be the largest, natural, freshwater, spherical pearl ever found. And it was just in somebody's drawer. So check your jewelry when you get home. <laughs> but Jesus told a very similar story. Do you know that? In order to communicate what the kingdom of God was like, Jesus would often tell parables And he told one parable in particular in Matthew 13. He said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. David Morris bought that pearl because he recognized its value. And he had had no problem whatsoever just forking over $1.4 million to buy it even though it's appraised value, was only a tenth of that. He knew its worth. He knew how valuable it was. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like that guy buying that pearl earring. That's what it's like. That's how valuable it is. And what I want to commend to you this morning is that I think this parable teaches us a lot about evangelism. And in fact, I would say that over the last couple months even... It's really started to change my own heart and theology and focus as it relates to evangelism. So with that, let me pray, and then I'll explain, and we'll dive into this new series together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him. Thank you, Jesus, that you live, that you're alive uh, in us as well, and because of that, we live. Lord, I pray uh, this morning that you'd help me to teach your word well and uh, to teach your commands well. And uh, let us be obedient. Holy Spirit, would you stir in our hearts? Would you uh, teach me even as I teach? And I pray against the enemy for your protection. And I pray too that he wouldn't uh, take these words and twist them or, or cause fear and confusion in us. But Holy Spirit, would you change us and give us a heart like Jesus? Work in and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, what are your thoughts about evangelism? When I say the word evangelism, what comes to mind? What feelings come to mind? What thoughts? Um, maybe fear? Frustration? You know, if you're not a Christian, that one probably does come to mind. Frustration. And if, if that's you, I get that. Uh, anger? Do you get angry about it? Maybe that's even more you if you're not a Christian. I'll be honest. Um, the word for me is Dread. Does that bother you? It bothers me. That that's the word that that comes to my heart and comes to my mind is a dread. Like I don't, and and fear and intimidation. And I don't know that I can do that. And I don't know that I want to do that. And all those things God's been working on me over the last couple months. Um, And I, I tried to figure out why is it? What is it about that that causes me to feel that way? And you know, one thing I wonder, and maybe if you're like me in that sense, one thing I realized is, um, have you ever heard, maybe it's the terminology we use, have you ever heard of evangelism referred to as soul winning? I'm going to go out and do some soul winning. You ever hear that? That, That's kind of an old school mindset, and I've heard that often. And uh, you know, Paul talks about uh, becoming all things to all people in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 so that he might win some to Jesus, but he doesn't really talk about winning souls. That phrase, I don't know about you, but to me, it, it just conjures up oh, weird ideas. It conjures up like Wild Wild West to me. Like Clint Eastwood and like one more notch on the belt for every kill that I get. Because I'm just just—I'm picking people off. I'm winning souls, right? Or, or it's like the fighter pilot who, who, you know, marks the side of their plane with nose artwork of all the air-to-air, air-to-air combat victories they won and all the shoot-downs that they had. And... That, to me, anyway, that's what that conjures up, and so I, I, I realize, like, part of my frustration, I think, sometimes or dread, even in evangelism, is it I feels strange to me to go to somebody and like I have to somehow uh, convince them or uh, manipulate them in some. It feels manipulative sometimes, like, like to get them to believe what I believe, to proselytize in that way, and I'm not sure that. Um, that that's really what Jesus would have us do in in that sense. I I just don't know that that phraseology is helpful. Maybe it's my personality. uh, Maybe it's my age or my generation. I don't know. But uh, the idea of of just convincing someone to receive my faith and I'm going to do everything I can to, I'm going to come around this way and then this way and this way to convince them, uh, it's hard. Um, It's hard for me, I guess. Because I read scripture and I realize that Jesus says... uh, uh, The father is winning all people to himself. And so my role isn't to win them. The father's doing that. My role is simply to participate with him in that. And uh, in some ways, you know, I just wonder who's the true winner in evangelism. Over the last few months, that parable of the priceless pearl has really begun to reshape my theology of it. And... Read it again with me. Look at at what Jesus says. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Tell me, who's the winner in that parable? Who's the winner? The merchant, right? Because what's he get? He gets the prize, he gets the pearl. See, the winner, in, that, 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 that was enlightening to me. Like The, the winner in evangelism, i got to get my head to think that way. I've known that's true. But the winner isn't me when I win someone to Christ. It's them. And, and evangelism is about helping other people find Jesus. That's evangelism. It's helping people find Jesus. Helping people find the prize. Helping them win. That's the heart of evangelism. It's not uh, how, many, how many people can I, can I lead to the Lord? That, listen, that, those are all good things. Don't hear me. That's, those are great things. But the heart of it really is, uh, it needs to be that I want to help them get the pearl. I want to help them get what they've been searching for their whole life. I don't want to beat them into it. I don't want to arm wrestle them into it or put them in a headlock. I, I want them to win I want to come alongside them. And so it's, it's refocusing evangelism. Evangelism is helping people find Jesus. Because it's not about winning people or even Jesus winning people. It's about people winning Jesus. That's really the heart of evangelism. And it changes the, the focus then from my achievement to uh, that person's gain. It's not about my gain, it's their gain. It's about helping them secure the biggest win they possibly could. And being sent to evangelize then requires me to love them and care about them. Uh, We're in a series called The Pearl that's starting today. We're focusing on this idea of evangelism, and it starts with me loving and caring for people. Does that that phrase sound familiar? (laughs) We read our mission statement a couple years ago and we chose the words very intentionally. Do you know that? We're sent to what? Help me out. Love people and do what? To do what? With who? Yeah. We're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. See, here's the deal. If I don't really love people, I'm not going to want to help them win Jesus. It's going to be about me conquering them. But if I love them, it's about me getting them, no matter how messy it is, and no matter how long it takes, getting them to Jesus Christ. Helping them win. That's evangelism. See, we're sent to love people. Uh, Let's just unpack this mission statement again briefly, just as a reminder. We're sent, right? Our God is a missionary God. Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? For God so what the world? Loved the world that he sent his only son So Jesus comes as a missionary to love us, to love you, to give himself as a prize for you. And we're sent to love people. We're sent and we're sent to love people. As a Christian, you've been sent to love people. Jesus commands us to love people. In fact, he even says that people will know you're Christians by your love for one another. And ultimately, out of that, your love for them. And you know what? At some point, though, loving them, caring for them means inviting them, opening my mouth and inviting them. And that invitation sometimes simply starts with a friendship. Invite them into relationship. Invite them over for dinner. We're going to be talking about that one this week. Next week, I mean. Invite them eventually to church. And finally, the big invite over time is to invite them to follow Jesus. That's the whole point. He's the greatest prize. Invite them to follow Jesus with you, with you. Not win him and go, Huh? see ya, check. <laughs> but win him to follow Jesus with you, with us. That's our mission, amen? Well, as I said, we're starting a new series today called The Pearl. And evangelism is about helping someone else strike it rich and score the priceless pearl of Jesus Christ and of his kingdom. And over the next few weeks, I want to explore some ideas of how we can do exactly that. And uh, so this idea of the pearl, it's actually an acronym. So it's going to be easy for you to remember, hopefully. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this parable every week. And, and then hopefully it's an acronym that's easy for you to remember, as long as you know how to spell pearl. That's the catch, right? you got to know how to spell. So if you don't, get somebody to help you. Add P to the front of Earl, and you got Pearl. Make sure you're awake. But it's an acronym, and here's what it it looks like. Uh, First is pray. We're going to talk about that this morning. Pray for them. You and I, uh, probably, you you must have someone in mind who needs the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence in your heart and in your life. And he's working the will of the Father in your life and the Father's heart. uh, Paul tells Timothy is that all people would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So surely, if you're saved, there's somebody that comes to mind in your heart who needs the Lord. Who is that person? Pray for them. Pray for them. The second one, eat with them. You're like, hey, I can do that. I eat. <laughs> I can eat with them. And do you know how many times, by the way, this whole acronym, this is how Jesus, I believe, goes about it. That whole, uh, how many times Jesus is found eating with people and spending time with them? That's the big idea, not necessarily that you have a meal, but a meal tends to kind of break the barrier down, and it makes conversation happen a little more naturally. So eat with them, or at least just spend time with them. you gotta, you got to be their friend. And then begin asking questions. Ask them questions, like, um, hey, have you noticed that people like to talk about themselves? But, but if you just have a whole lot to say... They don't really want to hear it. Or if you ask a question and then you answer it before they get a chance to answer it, they don't, they, they're like, okay, you really don't care. you got to ask a question and then just let it sit and be silent and let them answer. Who are you? Where are you from? You know, Eventually, maybe you even get to their spirituality. And here's the thing. you got to be ready for R then because if you're going to start asking them questions, guess what's going to happen? They're going to start asking you questions. So get ready you got to be ready to reveal your story. But don't start with your story. Start with them. Start with their story. Get to know them. And then finally, love them tangibly no matter what. And so here's what we're going to do over these next, we're actually going to take four weeks to go through this. uh, Because this whole, the piece of loving them tangibly, by the way, no matter how they respond, you're still called to love them. We're sent to love people. Um. We're going to put that in throughout the entire series, and really the whole series we just came off of for seven weeks for the life of the world, we've been talking about that. Uh, So today we're going to talk about pray, and what I want to do is work this up to where, if you notice, Reveal's going to come on a big Sunday. Do you know what that Sunday is? Easter Sunday. And so here's my goal. I want you to start thinking. you got a month, you got four weeks. Uh, who, Who is it that you're thinking about right now? Who do maybe you need to pray about, spend some time with, ask some questions? And what I'm going to do is if you invite them, bring them on Easter morning. I've got a couple people in my mind already um, for myself. Uh, I'm going to reveal, I'm going to tee it up for you to reveal your story. I'm going to share the gospel as plainly and as succinctly and as clearly as I possibly can. And you're going to have like, it's going to be t-ball with a, a jacked up corked bat And it's just going to be ready for you to tell your story and reveal your story. Is that a deal? So we're going to work on this together over this month. And by God's grace, we're going to be praying for people. We're going to be spending time with them. We're going to be asking them questions. And by God's grace, wouldn't it be cool if this place is just loaded on Easter and uh, many come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? And maybe they won't on Easter, but to think of that relationship and that potential down the road. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about prayer, and um, even before I, I get going, I just want to let you know that this this acronym actually comes from a friend of mine uh, at a church in Chicago, uh, some of the guys I get together with, and he came up with this, and I said, hey, Jeff, can I steal that? He's like, yeah, it's all yours. Take it. Run with it. And um, so I just don't want you to think that I came up with this out of my own smarts. I'm not that smart. I can spell pearl, but I didn't come up with the acronym, so just a uh, fair warning there. But let's talk about praying for people. See, I, I think, friends, that uh, Jesus begins with prayer. I think this whole, this whole uh, method, uh, what I want to do is give you something that's just tangible, easy, that anybody can do. And, and because I think it's also based on the way we see Jesus go about it. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 9, it says Jesus, I'm in verse 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless." like sheep without a shepherd. So just setting the stage, these two verses do. Jesus is out teaching and preaching and wandering around Israel, going into the synagogues. He's, he's preaching the gospel. He's teaching them. He's healing them. He's loving people. Um, and his love for them is so great that it stirred up, uh, Matthew tells us, a compassion, deep compassion for them in his heart. This word in the Greek, literally it means like his gut was in knots. Like it was, his stomach was twisted. That's the idea. When, when he saw these people who didn't know the truth, his stomach just churned. You ever, what, what's the last thing you looked at or saw or thought about that just made your stomach churn? Was it your friend? When Jesus saw them, his, he was stirred with compassion. He recognized their need. It says that they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Um, That phrase made me think a lot this week. You know, if you thought about what it would be like for a sheep without a shepherd, I just started thinking about that. Um, What would happen to a flock of sheep in Jesus' day if they had no shepherd? Well, some would just wander off and they'd... Maybe never return. They'd uh, be vulnerable to wild animals and to wolves and to all kinds of danger. Because you know what? Sheep are really stupid. Jesus calls you his sheep. Is that comforting? <laughs> he calls me his sheep. But they are. They're just they're really dumb. They do dumb things. They just kind of follow the crowd. They wander off. They, they, don't, they don't think. Um, they might follow wrong ideas and people. When Jesus sees people who don't know the truth, his heart churns for them because, man, who who are they following? What are they following? That that path will not end well for them. Um, I read this week that um, uh, sheep in that context won't eat unless they're led somewhere to be fed. They'll eventually starve to death. I've shown you this picture before. Uh, uh, Sheep can get cast down. You know, in, the, in Psalm 42, I so downcast, O my soul. When a sheep gets stuck on its back, it can't uh, get itself back up unless a shepherd or somebody else comes along and helps them stand up. They're cast down. They're helpless. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees them. And it stirs his heart to compassion. They're vulnerable. You know, uh, I read a book a few years ago, when I was working on my master's degree, we had to read this book called "The Shepherd Leader." And this guy by the name of Timothy Whitmer, he talked about uh, shepherd leaders in the church, and there were four things that a shepherd in a church needs to be able to do, uh, or as a church is shepherded. and he, he, he makes the point that most pastors, most leaders, are really only good at uh, maybe one or two of them, uh, but you still have to make sure that other people are caring for all four. So it's like this: you need to know the sheep, lead the sheep feed the sheep and protect the sheep that's what a shepherd does and he takes that metaphor and works it back then for the church so to know the sheep that, that you need to be known you need to be known by somebody When a church our size it's impossible for me to know everybody it's impossible even for Kirk or Dan to know everybody so you, so you need to not just gather on a sunday morning but grow get connected in a 110 group and be known by other people you need to be known And some people are really good at knowing lots of people. They're really relational. I think Kirk is much better at this than I am. He's gifted much more at this than I am. And then there's uh, not just knowing the sheep, but he says, so, so these people, when Jesus looks at them, they're unknown. They're not known to anybody who knows the truth potentially. Or if they are, then maybe that person doesn't really care about them because they've never shared the truth with them. But then they need to be fed, know and feed them. Jesus tells Peter over and over, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. To be taught God's word, to eat what's healthy, to to live on that. Um, I believe that's part of of my gifting. I'm thankful to be in a church where I can serve in that gifting and get the privilege to teach so often. Kirk and Dan are both very gifted at that as well. Many of you are gifted at that in your 110 groups and other places being able to, to feed the sheep. But then also to lead them. The shepherd is the one who leads the sheep. He provides direction. And guess what happens sometimes? When the shepherd's going somewhere, the sheep don't always want to follow. because sometimes it's a dangerous path. And that, I could fall off that. I don't, I don't want to go there. But uh, the shepherd's responsible for leading them in a way that's ultimately caring for their best interests and shepherding the flock he's been entrusted to. And then to protect them, to protect them from... Uh, those who would teach false doctrine or uh, who who would attack them when they're vulnerable, like a sheep that's downcast. So Jesus is seeing these people. They're not known. They aren't being fed the truth. They're not being led. They're just wandering. And uh, they're, they're certainly not protected from the enemy. And so when Jesus sees the crowds, he has compassion. And I just started, you know, I started thinking about what's it like for a sheep without a shepherd? But then I started thinking, What was it about Jesus that stirred that compassion in his gut? Literally that his gut was just twisting with hurt for these people who were lost. I had to ask myself, does my stomach churn for people who don't know the Lord? And if I'm honest, there's too many days it doesn't. Well, Let's see what Jesus says right after it says that he had compassion on them. Look at verse 37. He turned to his disciples and he said, uh, the harvest is plentiful. He's seeing all these sheep who need to be brought into the fold. The harvest is plentiful, but you know what? The laborers are few. Therefore, he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says the first step in bringing in a harvest is to pray. It's to pray. And I would even commend to you that, that his heart and compassion for these people was because of the amount of time he spent in prayer with his father. Do you know, so often when the disciples couldn't find Jesus, they're like, where is he? I can't find him. What's he doing? He was like off somewhere praying. And on one occasion, they even come up to him, they're like, Jesus, uh, Dude, everybody's looking for you. What are you doing over here praying? Why don't you get over here and do some work? (laughs) He's like, ah, we're leaving. We're going this way. And they go a different direction. You could often find him praying. If you didn't know where he was, he was either sleeping or praying. It was one of those two things. That's where you could find Jesus. And I think that heart is overflowed in his compassion for people. And then look what he tells us to pray. He says, look look at that word. He says, to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. We're sent, friends. We're sent. Uh, When we pray for laborers to be sent out, guess who we're praying for? Each other. We're, We're praying for ourselves to go out and bring in the harvest, to go out into the field. We're praying for God to send you out, to give me a swift kick in the butt, get me out, go, go, right? Jesus, if you don't believe me, look, look we're sent. Look what Jesus prays in John 17. He says, he's praying to his father in the garden. He says, "Father, as you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And it's for their sake I con- consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their words. So he's praying for it, because if you read that, you're like, yeah, he's talking about his disciples. He sent his disciples. But then in verse 20 of chapter 17, he says, I'm not asking just for them but for everyone who would believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? That's you and me. And Jesus is saying that we're sent. So Jesus' plan for the church is that we would be mobilized to go out and love, and it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Now, now why pray? What does prayer do? That, that brings up a big question to me at, you know, does, the question comes up sometimes, does, does prayer, I don't know, does it change God's will? Because he talks about praying uh, for workers to go out, but there's also times people, Jesus just prays for people. And Paul tells us uh, to pray for the gospel to spread and to pray for those. In uh, Timothy, he tells us actually, uh, Jesus, chapter 2 or chapter 4, pray for all people. And he gets to verse 4, and he says, uh, For the will of the Father is that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing when you pray for people, because that's God's heart, is that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus. But does, does prayer, what does prayer do? Does it, does it change God's will? Does it change circumstances? Well, on the first one, it's, it's, it's yes and no. On the first one, does it change God's will? No. It doesn't change his will. Because if, if prayer, think about it with me, put your cap on, if praying changed God's will or changed his character, that would mean there's something about him that needs to be improved, right? And that's certainly not true. He's perfect as he is. And his heart for people is perfect as it is. But you know what it does change? It does change circumstances, And sometimes God relents and his, his heart is moved with compassion and he acts because he's waiting for us to pray. Prayer changes circumstances and God delights in changing our circumstances in response to prayers of faith and not just your circumstances, but the circumstances of people you're praying for. He delights to do that. Do you believe that he delights to do that? And it, it, it doesn't change his will, but it, it stirs him to action, I believe. And see, uh, John writes, he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So what's it mean to pray according to his will? And somebody told me, give me this illustration this week that I thought was was a little bit helpful. It, how many of you, when you turned 16, you started asking for a car? For me, it was 14, because in Iowa, you got your driver's permit when you were 14. Now, um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was, you know, I, it was clearly, it was my dad's heart to give me a car, so that mainly for his own comfort, so he didn't have to drive me around, I think. But how many of you, too, if you have kids, like, you're, yeah, you want to give them a vehicle, but if they start asking for it at this point, I'm not going to give it to them now. They're not ready for it. Now, that doesn't mean your will isn't to give them a vehicle, right? That's your will. But you also, you want them to want it as well. You don't want to just give it to them if they don't really want it, and they're never going to drive it. And so uh, you're waiting for them to uh, both show that, uh, that heart of asking and wanting it and also being ready for it. And eventually, when they're 16, 17, 18, whatever it is, you realize, you know what, they, they really want this. They've been asking. They've been pleading with me. I want to give it to them, and now I think they're ready for it too. And so after all that time, finally, you give them the car. Now, did that change your will to ever give them a car? No, you were going to do it. They might think it changed your will. It didn't change your will. Finally, he caved. No, he was always going to give you a car. Um, That's the same thing, I think, with the father. Like sometimes we we pray and we pray and we pray. And if it's in accordance with his will, uh, the only thing we're waiting for is for when he thinks we're ready. Is that helpful? It was helpful for me to think about it that way. I thought it might be helpful for you, but what is his will? Well, Here you go. It's 1 Timothy 2. I wondered if it was 2 or 4 earlier. It's 2, 1 through 4. First of all, Paul writes, he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's heart and his compassion for people. He desires that we would pray for them. And I believe prayer over time will change circumstances in people's lives to where when they're ready, here comes the gospel and it'll be powerful. And maybe that day is coming soon for some of your friends as you begin to pray for them. But prayer doesn't just change our circumstances. I, I told you that I think Jesus' heart of compassion was because of his time in prayer. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes you, and it changes me. Because you're spending time with God. I think Jesus' heart for people was because of the time he spent with his Father. When I, when I pray, the more I pray and the more I read his word and do those things together as a conversation, the more I begin to pray God's heart. We, Were you ever told not to hang out with certain people? Don't go to their house. What were you doing with them? Why were you out with them last night? You ever ever told that? Or do you ever tell your kids that? Why do you tell them that? Because you know, and your parents knew, if you spend time with them, eventually you're going to become like them. You're going to start doing some of the things they do. You're going to be like them. Here's the truth. It's just kind of a principle. You become like the people you hang out with. Did you know that? You become like the people you hang out with. You do. And so the more you hang out with God in prayer, guess who you become more like? Jesus. And so your heart begins to change. And prayer changes you simply because you're hanging out with him. When I was in youth ministry, we had these these journals. We used to call them hang time journals. Just hang out with God. And by the power of his word and prayer and the spirit, it'll change you. So let me warn you, if you take me up on this and you start praying for somebody, start doing this pearl thing, uh, some things are going to start changing in your heart. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? It'll change you as you spend time with him. So what should we pray? Well... We'll end like this. You know, at the end of a letter, sometimes you add a PS, a postscript, right? So I'm going to add a PS to the end of the message today. Here it is. And that PS reminds you of the two things to pray for for your friends. Um, but before I do, um, you know, we're in this series called uh, the Pearl. And we actually have little pearls for all of you. And so the ushers, maybe as, as I start teaching through this last piece, you can walk down and hand these out to people. And, and what you can do is you can, uh, here, here's my idea with this, is you would keep this in your pocket. By the way, don't bother getting it appraised. <laughs> but take the, <laughs> keep it in your pocket. And like at the end of the day, do you ever empty out your pockets? Do you ever empty them out? You know, your keys, some loose change, a receipt, whatever. So the idea is, at the end of the day, maybe you'd empty out your pockets and this little pearl would be in there on your nightstand, on your dresser, in the bathroom, wherever you do that. And it'd be a reminder for you, right then and there, to pray for that person who's in your mind right now. Ushers, so why don't you guys come forward and let's do that now. Start passing those out. Um, and, and it'd be a reminder for you to be praying for them. So maybe you've got, you're like, I got, I got two, three, four people. Great, take two, three, four pearls, I don't care. Uh, But here's the idea. Over the next month, carry this with you in your pocket. And even when you feel it in your pocket, think of that person, pray for them. And now here's the things to pray. Here's the PS of what to pray. First, pray for their problems. Pray for their problems. What do I mean by that? Well, you want to pray for their physical problems and their spiritual problems. Everybody's got issues, right? Right? Pray for their good in general, that God would show grace to them in their life, day in, day out. But then uh, don't stop there just for their physical good. Pray for their spiritual problems. Pray that they would come to saving knowledge of Jesus. Pray that God would bring them to a point where they recognize their need for a Savior. So here's here's my hope, that that sound of those pearls coming out of those jars all around here. Is the sound of people who are gonna be coming to know Jesus Christ in the weeks and months ahead. Wouldn't that be great? If, like, every time you just hear that, that's somebody else. That's somebody else. There's another one. Who is it? Pray for them. Pray for their problems. That's the P in PS, both physical and spiritual. But then also, don't just pray about their problems, pray about the solution. Pray for their solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ. Pray for the solution uh, in their temporal problems, right? For God's good in their life, but pray for the solution uh, that they need for their soul. Pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And start praying now. And then in the weeks to come, be thinking strategically, how am I gonna eat with them and spend time with them? What questions do I need to ask them? Maybe I just need to text them. And then we're gonna tee it up on Easter to be able to reveal your story. But hopefully this goes, this is just the start of a wave way past Easter. Amen? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man in search of fine pearls, who on finding one of great value sold everything he had so that he could attain it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him. Thank you uh, that your kingdom is of great value and of great worth. Lord, I I pray that you would uh, give us a heart for people. Bring people to mind right now uh, to be praying for. I know you've brought some to my mind over the last few weeks. Uh, And then help us to be intentional as we go forward, even just beginning this week with praying. Praying for them praying for their problems in this life and their spiritual problems, praying for solutions then to those problems too, that you would show them grace and goodness, but also that you would show them grace eternally in Jesus Christ and they would come to faith in you. Lord, I realize even as I'm praying, there's probably people here who uh, in hearing about this, they go, uh, uh, what do you mean share the pearl? I need the pearl. <laughs> I don't, I haven't put my faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, If that's you, it's very simple. It's simply changing your mind, repenting, turning from your way of living and your sin to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sin to save your soul. And he gives you his righteousness. And he says, the only requirement is that you would come to him in faith. That's it. Turn to him in faith. Ask him to forgive you. Whoever would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is the Lord and God raised him from the dead will be saved, Paul writes. So Lord, we pray that that many would come to faith in you through our church and in our community. And we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.